If you were around this church last Sunday, you heard me talk a bit about what the liturgical Christian can expect from the Easter season, at least as far as the story that we tell. The stories that you hear from the lectionary, which is the the plan that we inherit the readings that from which we hear in church on a Sunday morning. Um, during the season of Easter, there's an intentionality about these stories. And the intentionality is meant to narrate the full experience of a person of faith. So some of the stories that we hear on a Sunday morning speak to the the profoundly spiritual experience of God. And then other stories that we hear during the season of Easter speak to the utterly material experience of God. And if we remember the arc of Jesus's teaching all throughout the gospel is to bridge these two very real experiences of God for the human being. And the criticism that he extends to the religious authority all throughout the gospel is, for the most part, not completely, but for the most part of like, hey, y'all do a whole lot over here on the profoundly spiritual side of things when it comes to faith and religious expression. But, you know, don't forget that this work that God has in the world must ultimately land in the lives of human beings in an utterly material way. Maybe you hear that in the readings, maybe you don't. If we take that reading from Acts, there's a a somewhat spiritual experience that Paul has. He receives a vision, go and meet with these people. He doesn't go to the synagogue. He retires to a place where women are meeting at at the river's edge, gathering, and it says that they're women of faith, but we also know that they're not in the synagogue. They're not a part of the religiously in crowd, and Paul is engaging them anyway. And then we get this This mention of a woman by name and her occupation, Lydia, Lydia, who's a purveyor of purple cloth. What we're meant to hear, which we miss because we just don't know these details anymore. What we're meant to hear is like Lydia, who is a very successful fashionista. We remember that purple is the color of royalty. So so not only is Lydia a very successful fashionista, but she becomes a benefactor of the movement. She is a spiritual philanthropist, and that is the arc of her ministry throughout those New Testament stories. And then the pendulum swings all the way over to this side, right, with that reading that we have from the Revelation to John, where John receives this vision of the holy Jerusalem, a heavenly city that extends from the top of heaven to the bottom of earth. And there God and the Lamb, Jesus, 
sit on a throne. A river runs through the middle of the city that's as clear as crystal. And on either side of the riverbanks sits the tree of life. And we know that the city requires no sun and no moon because the glory of God and Jesus light the place. Honestly, you can't get any more profoundly imaginative and creative and mystical than that. That story is exclusively on the side of the profoundly spiritual. And then we have this beautiful story from the fifth chapter of John that again straddles these two dynamics that sit in tension for the person of faith. As the story goes, Jesus is walking through a portico, a gate, an entrance. And if you were to go, if you were to go visit the city of Jerusalem today, you could see this place. If you went to the top of the hill or near the top of the hill and you look down the east side, that's where this place was. And there's some there's some some logistical significance to this place that's important for us to know. So it says that it's Beth Zatha, the sheep's gate. What we're meant to know is that the shepherds herding their sheep from the wilderness toward the city of Jerusalem would enter through this gate. And the story tells us that there's a pool there. Well, it's not like the rec center. It's not even like a fountain. It's a tool. The pool is a tool as the shepherds drive their sheep through this entrance toward the temple mount. Now, let's be clear here. The majority of the sheep that are being driven through this particular gate are not going to our stomachs first. They're going to the altar to be sacrificed. And so as the shepherds drive these sheep through the gate, they drive them into the pool and out the other side where they're cleaned up a little bit as they make their way to the temple mount in order to be sacrificed by the faithful who come to make their prayers and make their ritual sacrifice at the temple. Jesus finds himself walking to this place, and as the story describes, there are people that surround this pool. Now, what the story also doesn't tell us is that there is a legend attached to this particular pool. Legend is that at some point in time, an angel of the Lord will descend from heaven to the pool and stir the waters of this pool. And whoever then, those disabled people surrounding the pool, whoever then makes it into the waters first will experience a spiritual and material healing. 
And so Jesus, as he makes his way through the gate, does what most religious people who are making their way through the gate to the temple mount do not do. He stops and attends to one of the fragile, vulnerable humans sitting alongside the portico at water's edge and engages him in conversation. The details of the story are important, not because they are literally true, but because they make an impact on the way that the story is told. John, the narrator, says, this man, this disabled man, has been sitting alongside the edge of this pool for how long? 38 years. What we're meant to hear is that this man, ill, broken, vulnerable, in need of care and nurture and healing, has been sitting at a place where religious people like you and me walk by making our way up to the temple to offer our prayers. He's been sitting there for 38 years and no one engages him until Jesus comes by and they have this short little conversation. And there are details about this conversation that are also important. He says, basically like, what's up? And he says, well, you know, here I've been for 38 years. And he says, well, you know, aren't you interested in being healed? And he says, of course I'm interested in being healed. I've been sitting here broken, sick, in need of care and nurture and healing for 38 years. But here's what I can tell you. If the angel of the Lord comes down right now and stirs the water of this pool, I am almost certain that someone will step in front of me and enter the water before I do, and I will not find the healing that I have been seeking for 38 years. What we're meant to hear is that this was both a practical place and a spiritual place. And Jesus coming through this portico is is intent upon engaging in the profoundly spiritual experience of offering his prayers and his sacrifice on the temple mount while also engaging humanity, humanity in need, in, in utter material need of just that connection, if not some deeper sense of healing. What we're also meant to hear in, in the man's response is that He's not a faithful person. After 38 years of sitting there, he has lost hope that he will ever find healing. And for nearly 38 years, he has sat at the pool in despair. Jesus, engaging again on the profoundly spiritual side of things, gives this man a healing that is beautiful and utterly material. The arc of Jesus' teaching 
all throughout the gospel is meant to take the profoundly spiritual experience that we have as human beings and bring it together with this utterly material concept of love, pushing these two experiences together for the faithful person to make us spiritually and religiously whole. How many of us have had that profoundly spiritual experience in Jackson Hole just getting out into the shadow of the Tetons? Almost all of us. This side of religious experience is real and alive and important. But here's the thing, and how many of us have friends, or maybe we are those people where it's like, man, man, the church is my, the the Tetons is my church. We've heard that before, right? We hear it time and time again. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's part of the experience. But the reason that people over 100 years ago went out into the forest to cut logs is because they had a sense from the teachings of Jesus that that thing which is profoundly spiritual also has to manifest itself in the utterly material experience of delivering love and care and nurture to human beings and other creatures that live in and amongst us. I had this wild experience on Wednesday morning. It was both profoundly spiritual and also utterly material. I was here at the office early, and um, the only other person here was Robin, and I heard this knocking on the door. The doors were still locked of St. John's house over there where our offices are, and I heard a, you know, a little knock on the door, and I sat for a second and got quiet to see if I could hear Robin's footsteps um, making her way down the hall, and Then I heard another little knock, and I was like, well, I'll go down and see who it is. So I ran down the stairs, and I opened the door. And when I opened the door, this LOL just bumped it, like busted in. This little old lady um, (laughs) was standing at the door, and she just, like, wasn't taking no for an answer. I opened the door, and she was, like, right in there on me. And I was like, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, hi, how are you? She's like, she introduced herself. She asked me who I was, and I said, well, um, my name's Jimmy, and she said, what do you do here, Jimmy? <laughs> Maybe I should have thought about it a little longer. <laughs> a lot, a lot. And I said, well, I'm the rector. And she said, oh, how great. She said, my husband was an Episcopal priest, and he served the, the Diocese of San Diego for a good part of his career. I'm from San Diego, and he died two months ago. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. She said, my older son will absolutely kill me if he knows that I came here and I didn't get a look in the church. Would you mind opening the church for me? And I was like, no, come on, yeah, let's go. And so we walked over here, and she was tottering a bit. She said that she um, 
was uh, hit by a car a couple years ago that um, gave her a limp. She was never able to fully um, heal from that. And I was like, oh, Jacob becomes Israel, the limp. Like, oh, my gosh, is this an angel? You know, <laughs> my mitt. So we came in here, and I opened up the church, and I gave her a little history of this church building. And she came over to the organ, and she was like, oh, like, what kind of organ is this? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> A pipe organ? It's a pipe organ, right? It's a pipe organ. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I could call Ron, but he is asleep right now because it was like 7.45 in the morning and Ron likes to work late. Um, and so as we made our way around the church, she just thanked me. She was like, oh, thank you so much for bringing me into this place. And I was like, it's my pleasure. It's, I'm happy to make the connection. And she said that she was here on a little tour and they were leaving in an hour or so to go up to Yellowstone. And as we walked out the door, I said like, hey, let's, uh, you know, if you're headed that way, let's just poke our nose into the chapel there too. It's, it's a quite lovely space. And it's the first place that was a dedicated church building on our campus. So we went over and I unlocked the door and I turned on the lights and I showed her Frank's window and I showed her the river otter up there in the window by the, by the altar and told her a bit about this place. And she said, thank you. And as we were making our way uh, to the door of the chapel, right when we got to the threshold, she grabbed me. Can I grab you? She grabbed my arm. Sermon prop today. <laughs> she grabbed my arm and she held on to it. And then she put her hand on my forehead. And she, she made the sign of the cross on my forehead. And she prayed me a blessing. And then she let go of my hand and she looked me dead in the eye. And she said, you know, I believe in these things. <laughs> and I said, you know, I do too. That was a moment for me where the profoundly spiritual came together with the utterly material presence of God. An encounter with someone who has experienced loss but still had a whole lot of love to give. It is the whole experience of God that we are after here at St. John's Episcopal Church. Church, I mean to tell you that the job that we have as people of faith, as Christians, is to love, to love materially with the spiritual profundity of the Tetons. This is the work before us. As I have told you so many times before, our work is to cover this valley with love like snow covers it in the wintertime. Church, you are doing that very thing. Let's keep doing it, and let's do even more. Amen. <laughs>